Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Thursday, December 8th. The winter meetings have officially concluded. Derek Van Riper here with Bricciaroli and Eno Saris. And I would say the two of you appear to be in much better condition than I would have expected to have found you in on a Thursday morning at the end of the winter meetings. Britt, what was your secret? Well, uh, my baby came, so I spent zero time at the bar. Great life hack. That was really the key. And also, I naturally wake up now at like 5 a.m., 6 a.m. So I went to the fitness center every morning, um, which, spoiler alert, is just as good as the bar for networking. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good, guys. And I and I got my workouts in. So, you know, that's why. Brit winning at life across the board again. You know, what was your secret? <laughs> uh, my secret was losing your voice on the first night. Uh, and then going to bed early because you didn't feel great. <laughs> Those are great hacks. So if you are a, a younger person who's thinking about going to the winter meetings, maybe looking for a job to network in the future, both of those paths, I would I could recommend those. No, except that it was bad for the networking part. <laughs> well, was, yeah, yeah. Maybe was. if you're a first timer, don't end up you know spending less time out. But I do think from a survival standpoint, not staying up till three drinking alcohol until all hours of the night and then waking up very early and just piling caffeine on top of that, that might be the uh, the best way to go at the winter meetings going forward. Good time to be an agent. So a lot of money flying around as we all hoped and expected. So a lot of questions on this episode, some specific players that we'll talk about along the way, of course, that got some big deals. I want to start with this question. Who is the most improved team to this point in the off season, who's done the most to get better? I'll start with you. You know, I don't know. I'm I'm tempted to kind of point at the uh, Rangers adding Jacob Degrom and Andrew Haney because last year the joke was, you know, but can they pitch? And uh, this year that's no longer the joke uh, because they got the best per inning pitcher uh, and another one to round out their rotation. Uh, kind of mimics last year with the big duo, although Andrew Haney <laughs> is not quite the same as a Marcus Simeon uh, part two. But still, um, the a lot of the other people were just playing catch up. If you think about the Yankees, they spent a lot of money, but they just brought back two guys that they had, and they've actually lost uh, Jameson Tyon. So, um, you know, even if you think about the Xander Bogarts addition for the Padres, they lost a significant amount in the rotation and... Uh, off the back end of their their lineup. So uh, in terms of adding without subtracting, I'd say it's either the Phillies or the Rangers. Yeah, I was going to go with the Phillies, which, you know, guys, I wrote about the Phillies. I wrote about Trey Turner on The Athletic and why he's such a great fit for Philly. And you guys will get a kick out of this. Multiple commenters were like, 
Oh, Brittany's saying something nice about the Phillies. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you, podcast listeners. Um, I am because I think they obviously uh, they did what they needed to do. Right? They went out. They got a premier. They got the best shortstop available in Trey Turner. They got him for less money than the Padres offered. They went out. They got Taiwan Walker. They're starting to address the bullpen now with the addition of Batstrom. So I think that they are not done yet. They're pretty close to the luxury tax right now. I think they're like three million under or so. Um, but this was a good team last year that's returning pretty much the heart of its lineup. I know there's some concern with Harper coming off Tommy John surgery, uh, but this is a good team that I think just continues to get better. I know everyone's teams are, are incomplete, of course. There are still great free agents available. There are still trades that will happen. Very quiet winter meetings, that is, from a trade perspective. Very strange. I'm curious about one team in particular. Can the Mets be a most improved team so far, even though they still have to figure out how they're going to replace Brandon Nimmo or if they're going to bring him back. Are they significantly better just with the move from DeGrom to Verlander? Not because DeGrom isn't amazing, but because Verlander is more reliable from a health perspective. I mean, I know he had Tommy John surgery somewhat recently, but the overall track record of durability with Justin Verlander is much better by comparison. So how much better are the Mets, if they're even better at all, Britt? Go to you first on this one. Yeah, I like to say it kind of like cancels out here because my issue is not that Verlander's more durable than DeGrom. I think you can argue that based on their career history so far, but the ages of the Mets rotation, right? You've got Scherzer, you've got Verlander, you've got guys that are pushing 40. Um, you know, they, they bring back Carrasco. This is just not a young rotation by any means. So you just wonder how it's going to hold up. And I know the big thing in Mets land is, well, they didn't really do much to address the the power in the lineup, right? That they so far have kind of started to rebuild out the rotation, which they needed to do. But I don't think that they've gotten, I don't think they leave in a much better situation that they were in during the season at all. I think, you know, Verlander, you know, I sat with Dusty Baker at the manager lunch yesterday and someone asked if they were surprised that he got that money. He's like, no, he's not that old. He's got a new arm, which, you know, obviously you got Tommy John, which, <laughs> kind of is a new arm. Um, but I still am concerned from a health perspective. I don't care if you have a new arm, his legs are still almost 40, right? His shoulders is bad. The rest of his body is still old. Max Scherzer, obviously in his late thirties as well. Um, that to me is a concern. Yes. Jacob deGrom's health was always a concern, but look at the collective ages in that Mets rotation guys. There's nobody in their twenties right now. There's nobody in their twenties. There's nobody that's 30. I think 33 is the youngest age um, of a rotation. And that to me is a little concerning when you're talking about a 162 game season. Yeah, and you know, I think I think Britt's totally right, but it also extends to the lineup. I mean, when you're thinking about this team, it's an old team. Uh, can you, Jeff McNeil, who is now 30, uh, you know, will he have uh, a repeat on the best season he's ever had? Um, you know, when you're looking at, uh, you know, Starling Marte, you, you only got 505 plate appearances. He was hurt, but he's 33. Would you get more or fewer played appearances, you know, going forward? Uh, Mark Canna had uh, one of his better seasons, uh, his second best season by played appearances, his, his third best season by uh, by wins above replacement. Are you are you just going to pencil him in, uh, you know, at his age at, at, at 33? So, you know, there's a there's a fair amount of post peak uh, older uh, players in the lineup and the rotation. And uh, last year, I think we lauded them for how much work they did on, you know, the depth, you know, 
But this year, uh, their fifth starting pitcher is uh, David Peterson. Their sixth is Tyler McGill. So, you know, they are relying on some youth there. Um, and in terms of depth in the outfield, uh, I think they're they're a little bit behind where they were last year. Uh, Brett Beatty is going to really have to come through for them as the current depth charts, uh, you know, line up. Um, and uh, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case. Yeah, I do think Beatty is important to this team in 2023 in some way, either as a guy that's going to have a prominent role or someone that they could possibly move if they want to make a big trade and add a younger starter to the rotation mix. If they wanted a number three starter that would be there for a few years, someone who's not on the wrong side of 30, Brett Beatty is one of the players they could move to to get that player. Uh, so you look at the lack of youth is definitely a problem. I think longer term, they're still changing a lot about this organization and trying to be more like the Dodgers, but they're clearly they're not they're not at that phase of being a player development machine yet, and we're kind of seeing it in in that Steve Cohen has to continue writing big checks to patch up holes. And you look at the progress, you're like they're they're not getting better, they're not getting worse, but they're not getting better, and it's costing more. That model doesn't work forever. That that eventually becomes uh, problematic for everyone, even Steve Cohen. So I'm really curious to see what their next couple of moves are. Even though I do like the Verlander edition. It seemed kind of essential once Jacob deGrom went to Texas. Yeah. This has been a weird winter, I think, just in terms of the number of years on some of the biggest deals, right? Aaron Judge, nine years, $360 million. Trey Turner's contract was 11 years. Xander Bogarts got done, I believe, overnight Wednesday into Thursday, 11 years. The dollars always go up. That part doesn't surprise me. But Britt, how surprised have you been at teams' willingness to commit to age 37, 38, 39, age 40, age 41 seasons for players, because that that is something that front offices have been very reluctant to do in recent years. Yeah, remember like two springs ago when people were talking about how that was dead, right? We were never going to see these like Miguel Cabrera length deals, these A-Rod type deals. Remember, it was like a big thing. And it was part of the reason the Players Association pushed for players to get paid earlier in their career is because the whole system was changing. But it's not so much this winter. And I think there's a couple important things at play, right? One, this is the first year of a new collective bargaining agreement. Owners historically know there's going to be labor peace now for several years, so they feel more comfortable spending. Two, I think when you look at the way these contracts are set up, especially a a Trey Turner, it keeps that average annual value lower. Going more years, it enables them to build a team around him. Now, Aaron Judge, is that an albatross deal? Probably but could the Yankees have really afforded for Aaron Judge to go anywhere else? Absolutely not. So they had to give him that extra year. They had to at least match what the San Francisco Giants were doing. So I think those cases, like a case like Aaron Judge, is a little bit of an outlier. But teams do seem more willing now to say, you know what? If Trey Turner is great the first five years of his deal, who cares if he's awful later on in his deal? Not Dave Dombrowski. He may not be there. What does he care? If they win two or three World Series and then they blow it up, Dave Dombrowski probably wouldn't be the GM president guy anyway there. So I think when you look at that from a perspective, it doesn't surprise me at all that some of these front offices are are going all in. You still have teams like the Dodgers who are just not going to wade in those waters. But I think more teams, more owners right now, given where the state of the game is, are more comfortable doing that. And keep in mind, guys, each team got an extra $30 million this year from MLB selling its share of Bam Tech. 
I asked Commissioner Rob Manfred what they're doing with that. Does it go directly into payroll? He kind of was on the fence. He said, you know, we let them do whatever they want with it. But you would think at least some teams, some clubs, we've already seen some clubs say the budget is going up. We know San Francisco is spending. We know the Cardinals are spending. Like these teams have already said the budget is going up. So to me, I'm not that surprised by the way these things are shifting. I think it's good for the game and I think it's fun. This was a fun winter meetings because people spent money. Yeah, yeah. An analyst texted me, if everything looks like an overpay, that's just the market. You know, so, you know, I think there's definitely just been a lurch for the market. You know, another piece of, of new income for them has been the streaming deals with Apple uh, and Peacock. And so there's a lot of additional money in the game. Uh, you know, there was talk of even adding um, sort of sponsorship deals on on jerseys, you know, so there's even talk of, of additional money coming down the line. Um, you know, from all that together, uh, I, I think that uh, you've just got a lot of a lot of uh, and then the labor piece piece, you know, that's that's part of it, too. They can they can project everything out. They know what the, what's coming. Um, so I, I think that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't look at any of these really as, as too bad, but you know, one thing that, that strikes me is the difference between Aaron judge and, um, somebody like uh, Trey Turner, uh, not only the sort of difference in projection next year, uh, Aaron judge is projected to be worth two more wins. Um, and so I think he was the, the prize of the market. Um, the difference for me is that Turner um, you know, the, he, he profiles more at the end of his deal as maybe a second baseman, a corner outfielder with some speed and some contact ability, um, you know, a good little player, but, um, you know, even maybe at the end, but how many players who play in the corner outfield or played second base and were over 38 were there in baseball last year, Derek? Oh, that's going to be like two at most. Good. good, good call. It was one Robinson Cano. Yeah, he didn't really play. And that's that actually that's actually I think what Turner could look like a little bit, right? You know, like a guy who can play a little DH, play a little second, play maybe some corner outfield. He'll still be athletic. He'll still be pretty fast. He's like 99th percentile speed wise. Uh, but that's a little bit weird to be thinking about that at 38. He's got three more years on the deal at that point. I I threw this out there on rates and barrels because we found out the Turner deal happened as we were finishing recording that episode on Monday, and I was trying to think of a, a statistical profile comp for Trey Turner, and the best name that I could think of off the top of my head was Ricky Henderson, and people who watched Ricky Henderson are going to say he stole way more bases than Trey Turner, and I'm going to say the game was a little different then. In today's game, maybe Ricky Henderson wouldn't have had you know three seasons over 100 stolen bases. Maybe not, as great as he is, right? But you look at the, the power, the speed, the hit tool, all of that kind of stuff looks similar. And Ricky Henderson was a really good player late in his career, in his late 30s. And I think I'm starting to wonder if there are certain athletic traits that players have. Turner would certainly have these where you'd say that sort of speed and agility grades out well in the long run. It ages more favorably. And Aaron Judge, I think, has that too, even though he's a large human. I think so much is made of Judge being huge and big players being more injury prone. The problem with comps like that on Judge is that there are so few players to compare him to. Your sample yeah. size is like five. And and yeah. he's got unique skills from everybody else in that group. So in some ways, you're, you're talking about unicorns in Judge and Trey Turner. Different kinds of unicorns, but unicorns nonetheless. So I think the perfect storm that, that each of you are, are, are talking about, I know Ken Rosenthal's written about this for The Athletic, 
that's part of why things are shaping up this way too. But I also think there is this little bit of extra confidence in players aging better than they used to because training is different. Okay, the the science is better. Like there's more, there are more ways players can take care of themselves and preserve their their bodies further into their careers. And I think teams are starting to bet on that a little bit more than they used to. The other part of it, though. I mean, Xander Bogarts, the, the AAV of that deal, it's $280 million over 11 years. You pointed this out, Britt. That's just over $25 million. A qualifying offer today is $19.6 million. That's not actually that big of a gap between the average annual value for Bogarts. I realize 11 years versus one is a big difference, but we could reach a point. If we still have qualifying offers by the time that, that contract is over, which we probably won't, but if we did, a qualifying offer is probably going to be more than $25 million by the time that contract expires. So $25 million won't look that bad, air quotes, won't look that bad if Bogarts is a one or two win player later in the deal. And on top of all of that, I wonder if there's some internal pressures for everyone across all facets of life to think less about the future and focus more on the present, <laughs> given that you know we just experienced a horrible pandemic where everything got put on hold for a while. Uh, that's actually there's a little more carpe diem in the front office than uh, than there was previously. Part of the sort of uh, you know uh, around drinks narrative for the Padres right now is that uh, owner Peter Seidler has uh, stared death in the face twice, literally with two cancer scares, uh, and uh, is just in the YOLO portion of his life uh, and just wants to win and will do whatever it takes, and that might explain some of the. Uh, rumors that we have, we I mean, some of them are substantiated. We just don't know the exact number, but we know that they were uh, bridesmaids, I guess, for uh, Aaron Judge and Trey Turner, and they were willing to to put uh, big money on the table. And um, I think kudos for for getting Xander. Um, I would rather have Carlos Correa of the of the remaining guys uh, because he's two years younger. Um, and um, you know, where you can say that Trey Turner will age uh, better because of his speed, that is actually uh, something that Jeff Zimmerman has found with aging curves, is that faster players age better. I think it's because they're just more able to contribute on the base pass and uh, defensively later in their career. Um, but um, uh, Correa is that those two years younger. He's the best bat of the three, pure bat uh, of the three. Um, so Xander is kind of falls behind as probably the third best bat the third best glove and maybe the third best uh, sort of group of, of athletic skills in terms of aging. He's not the fastest. He doesn't have the strongest arm. Um, so, you know, I think uh, he's sort of the third best option uh, when it comes to, to, uh, to shortstop, but I don't know what Correa's camp is asking for. Yeah. That was what I was going to say. Correa seems primed to me to go to like the Dodgers or the giants or a team that will pay him a short deal worth a lot of money again, maybe not a one-year deal like he had with Minnesota, but I don't think you could get Bogarts. You can get Correa for what Bogarts just signed for. And for the Padres now, this solidifies Tatis is in the outfield. We, we know that now, right? They're going to move Kim over to second base. Cronenworth is probably going to first. So they got a lot better and they also got insurance because you don't know what's going to happen with Tatis coming off the drug suspension. Manny Machado can opt out after next year. So you don't know what his future is with San Diego either. And Juan Soto is a free agent after in two years. So you are starting to see for San Diego, we talked about the window with the Mets being an old team. This is San Diego's window here now. 
And I don't know if they ever got to make an offer to judge. I don't know if they were using being used as leverage by judges camp to some extent. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly for San Diego. And as you know, you know, with Preller, like they're not going to stop. They're going to keep acquiring. They want to keep acquiring stars. They got a little taste of postseason success last year. And, you know, this is going to be it. I agree that Correa is the better player, but I think they're looking at it as like, okay, we need someone who's going to stay here more longer term in case we lose Machado, in case Tatis continues to have issues, right? I've forgotten about that opt-out. Yeah. So I, I think that, that they needed, people were like, oh, they don't need another infielder. They actually do if you look at it. And if they waited till next year, this is the year to get a shortstop, right? This is the year. These are the four really good shortstops. You look ahead, you don't have that same market. So this move is not just for next year, but it's also for insurance for the future for San Diego. Yeah, I think the timing of deals sometimes, uh, the free agency, it's either now or never. And even if your window isn't now, we saw this last offseason with the Rangers. If they thought Corey Seager was the best possible fit, the dollars at the time, then that was that was the move, even though this was going to be a, a big year for free agent shortstops. With Correa, he's two years younger than Bogarts, right? Bogarts just over 30. Correa's just over 28. I wonder if that shorter AAV deal, could, could we see five for 200? Does he want to go back into free agency around age 33 and call his shots? $200 million is a lot of money. And if he believes there's going to be more money coming out five years from now, he could get another $200 million deal then and get $400 million in total, even if that's not there. But I don't know if, I don't know if teams are going to pay a 33-year-old shortstop right. I think $200 million, even with the future projection. I think, I think he has to smash the, the closer to a judge where it's like, it's not 11, but it's eight or nine at the high AAV. I think that's what he's probably angling. I think for. he's looking for his one big deal. And at 28, you know, that's, the, you know, the weird thing, I think if there is anything quote unquote weird about these $300 million deals to, uh, to, to, to or the $300 million deal to Turner is that that was the first one that was given to a 29 year old. Yeah. Um, you know, usually the $300 million deals, Harper, you know, all these guys, Machado, they were all like 27, 28. That's the the kind of player that you want to get because you're buying more peak years. Um, and so Turner was the first one who are like, whoa, here's a guy who's going to be 30 next year. And he just signed an 11, 11 year deal. So $300 million deal. Turn, you know, uh, Correa being 28, I see a $300 million deal. So uh, I, and I kind of think it'll be the Giants. Because I was going to say, then where do you see him going, right? Because the Dodgers aren't going to do that. Well, the Giants are tough. You know, the Dodgers are flo- already floating sort of trial balloons saying, you know, he doesn't, you know, because of the, the, the cheating scandal, he's not going to be popular here. I also think the Dodgers seem like they're um, taking it easy this year because they may want to just go hard after Otani next year um, and be the winner in that sweepstakes. I don't know if that's exactly the reasoning, but they do seem to be like taking it easy. They're, they haven't been like, you know, rumored to be the, the the losing team on any of these big deals, you know? Um, and then uh, the, the Giants are reek up the middle in terms of defense. Um, and so I think a Correa Nimmo package uh, could only cost them, you know, maybe $10 million more a year than Judge would have cost them alone. Um, and so, you know, you get Correa Nimmo, you basically goose yourself up the middle. They're going to have some prospects that eventually play center and short for them. Um, so, you know, even some class prospects that people like and are, are, are kind of close. So this is a free way to get better up the middle. And my, I wrote a little piece with Andrew Baggerly and, and company, um, over, uh, on the, uh, on the athletic about how, how to spend the money. And it was, for me, it was either judge 
or try to do this like you know get two premier free agents and that's why that's how i see nimmo and and correa playing center in, in san francisco Korea to the Giants makes a lot of sense. I, I think the Giants are in a, a really difficult situation right now. Yeah, they are a big market team that can spend a lot. They can go out and be competitors for anybody in the free agent market. But the Dodgers, even if they don't go make a big splash this offseason, are still very good. And the Padres are kind of trying to build a super team. So to be the third team in the NL West right now with the young Arizona team, it's getting a lot better. That's a tough spot to be in, and I don't know if, if Judge alone, and it, might, it wasn't necessarily going to be Judge alone if that was going to help them close the gap. I think multiple players might actually give them a better chance to compete in that division because they have a couple areas where they could get significant upgrades. Maybe, but to me, like these little tic-tac deals that the Giants have done as of late just are not going to get it done, right? They need to get... They need to take, a, in my opinion, Zaidi needs to take a little page from Preller, and they need to get some stars. Right, they don't have any. They don't have the stars in San Francisco, and as you mentioned, this is a, a tough division. And I think, yeah, maybe if they put all their eggs in the Judge basket, maybe it wouldn't have been enough. But this fan base, I mean, you know, you could probably speak to it more so being in that general region. But th- this fan base is kind of looking at it as like, okay, what are we going to do here? We miss out on Judge. You know that people are coming off the board here. I mean, Bogarts, they kind of have to get Correa. Don't they? They kind of have to make some kind of splash here. And I think Correa would give them that star. He's a star on the field, and he's also like enjoys the spotlight kind of star, right? He's not Trey Turner. He doesn't just want to go home and never be bothered, you know, like play baseball and go home. Correa, I think, would embrace kind of being the guy or one of the guys in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, uh, there's a little bit of souring when it comes to Farhan Zaidi's tenure. I mean, they did buy himself uh, a lot of goodwill with the most wins in San Francisco Giants history uh, with 107. But that was, you know, in the rearview mirror last year, they tried to sort of re-rack it with a lot of the same players and they were a 500 team. So I think, you know, uh, fans are like, okay, we understand that you can kind of cobble together a 500 team. We know that like you can mix and match and we know you're really good at the waiver wire. Uh, we know that the pitching development looks like it's going to start spitting out some some guys out of the minors that are really exciting really soon, like Kyle Harrison. But where's the where are the stars? And I think Farhan has been talking to these guys. I do believe that they, you know, they made a presentation to Bryce Harper. I do believe that they that they were competitive with a lot of these offers. I do believe that they were, even though there was some stuff about Aaron Judge staging uh, the the sort of landing in San Francisco moment. Um, I do believe that the Giants were speaking to 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 Judge and trying to get him. So I do think that Farhan's trying to do it. I also remember Andrew Friedman, his former boss, saying, you know, if you never go over that number that's in your spreadsheet, you're never going to win a, a free agent. So I think at some point it's going to behoove uh, Farhan to say, okay, we're going over, but we're not going over as much as we might have had to to get Judge. You know, we're not going over as much as we've had to in the past. We're only going to go over you know, 20 million or whatever it is to, to go get, uh, to go get Carlos Correa. So I think, uh, I think this is that moment where, you know, he needs to step up. If you look at, uh, here's a a fun thing. If you look at projected, uh, wins above replacement, which track, uh, really, really well with wins, it's the best number one stat and the best stat we have single stat we have in terms of projecting teams, um, and knowing how good they are. Number one, 
Can you? Uh, should I make this a guess? Well, can you guys guess who's? I have one? the same chart open, oh, so okay. Britt can right. guess. Number one projected team. Number one projected team in terms of total WAR right now. Total wins above replacement. Right now. Yeah. Recent deals are all in. Recent deals are in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to say the Yankees because you mentioned that Judge had two more wins than Turner, but I, I don't think that they're the best team. Recent deals are all in. Is it still the Dodgers? It's the Padres. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Number one team in baseball right now projected for 52 wins above replacement are the Padres. Number two are the Braves, uh, who have just really? been quietly adding, 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 I adding. I was going to say, the Braves are, yeah, a little, people aren't talking enough about the Braves. The Braves are the Dodgers you were thinking of, right? Like, not doing enough, not doing a lot, like, loudly, but but still being really excellent. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Already really good. And also, the Braves just have the payroll that... People are gonna just totally envy because they've signed all those kids to long-term deals. That's so right. They're they're gonna eventually. They could be players for Otani next year too. Um, because they could. you know yeah, the Yankees are third. The Rays, uh, I think, large part because of some uh, health projections like Tyler Glass now coming back, are in wow. fourth. The Mets are fifth, and the Dodgers are sixth. So where are the Phillies? Where are the Phillies? The Phillies are 11th. actually eleven. They're behind the Guardians. Are they not count? Are they counting Harper like not being available for half I think the that's, year? Maybe. Yeah, that's part yep. of it. That's baked in. Yeah, that's baked in because uh, they're below that's average surprising. in right field and uh, just around average at DH. So that's that's the the Bryce Harper effect. Yeah, that makes sense then. But the Giants are twenty first. The Giants 21st, are twenty first you know. below the Orioles and Marlins. Who's last? Who are last? Who's last? Oh, yes. come on! You know, you know who's last. Is it the Nationals? No. But this They're a contender, yeah. but you know who's last. Come on. Who's always last? Is it Oakland? No. No. Amazing. They always find a way to avoid it. The team we make fun of the most on this podcast. Guys, we make fun of a lot of teams on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Rockies. The Colorado Rockies. Oh, God. I like forgot they even existed. <laughs> <laughs> but But if you give the Giants five wins, though, they move up to where the Rangers, White Sox, and Brewers are around there. Like, remember Chris Bryant? Like, did that, you know, like, it, just like remember, remember that guy? Does he still play? Oh, my God. Remember your brother, Dwayne? Yeah, like... What? I honestly forgot the am like the Orioles. It's not the Orioles. It's not the A's. I mean, he got he got his bag though. He got that money. But he wants to win. Right? It's gonna be rougher on that on that one. I bet you. Five, I, are we gonna get that Nolan Arnauto thing where they're gonna pay him? They're gonna pay some team money to take him. Yeah. <laughs> the Cardinals. Speaking of, can we talk about the Cardinals? Because I think they're a really interesting team. I'm trying to really rattle Cubs fans for some reason, but imagine the Rockies also giving away Chris Bryant via trade to the Cardinals, and you have to watch Chris Bryant and Wilson Contreras for the Cardinals. Oh, God, that would be be awful. The worst for Cubs fans. That would be terrible. I don't want that to happen because I think it'll make the Cardinals better. I'm I'm very surprised. The money on Contreras surprised me. People were like talking about it at the lobby, like, wow. I think, you know, a lot of people were talking, you know, I think they floated this idea, the Astros floated this idea he'd be their left fielder in DH on purpose to try and get the cost down. You know, you sometimes you think about, like, why do these rumors come out? And there's this rumor that the Astros were going to look at him as left fielder in DH and sometimes catcher. And I think that was to, to kind of be like, you're not a catcher. Uh, tell your agent that you can't get catcher money. But the Cardinals were like, nah, he, he's going to catch for us. Who's running the Astros? Jim Crane? Yeah. We did an agent survey, Patrick Moody and I. We talked to, I don't know, 18 agents or so, and everyone was like, what's going on over there? Like, basically, <laughs> you're just 
you're just dealing with Jim Crane, who, you know, has a lot of money, but isn't a baseball executive by nature. So you can take advantage. And I think they already have. Yeah, I got I got a lot of pushback from fans being like, well, you know, he has a baseball background. And I'm like, and and, and that's come up a little bit uh, in St. Louis, too. But, you know, in certain places, you know, is it St. Louis? Where was it that I was talking about? But anyway, you know, sometimes they're like, well, the owner played baseball in college or whatever. And you're like, okay. The little right. different than having, like, excessive quantitative chops those are slightly different things well crate also i guess maybe has the analytics chop i mean he's he's a business guy and he really liked he really liked lunau because of the sort of business businessman consulting kind of uh no soul and he had no soul (laughs) (laughs) all this makes sense are you struggling to close deals b2b selling is tougher than ever and that's why i want to tell you about linkedin sales navigator one more great product from linkedin you're there to network you're there to look for jobs you're there to post jobs and how about linkedin sales navigator it's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers drive higher revenue and increase sales performance sales navigator helps you target the right buyers surface key signals such as job Job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. What's going on with the Cubs, though? Hold on a second. Here's the thing that didn't make sense to me. It wasn't that... Wilson Contreras left. And even a fifth year for a catcher, I, I get that that's risky. But in in this market where everyone's getting more years than expected, why would the Cubs lose a guy that really was a cornerstone in the franchise? Like he's part of that core oh, and the last kind of remaining player. They just did it like eight times. <laughs> it's just they, well, they did it again. <laughs> why didn't they trade him at the deadline, though? If, they, yeah. if he wasn't going to be part of their future. Well, they were going to. He was giving goodbye hugs. Why wouldn't you just trade him? I don't understand anything they did there. I don't know. If, maybe we'll find this out over time. But did they did they ruin the relationship to the point where they really couldn't get him back on that same deal to lose him to your rival? If you have any designs on contending and you you don't have a everyday catcher, Jan Gomes is a part time catcher. He's thirty five years old. Yeah. They made an and, offer and to the Christian Cubs. Vasquez. I think the Cubs are like the NL equivalent of the Red Sox right now, where they're this big market team that has one foot in, and I can't tell what direction they even want to go. They are projected in the bottom seven. They said that they're going to have, quote, intelligent spending, which is really like we're not going to – like everyone wants to spend money intelligently. So that quote, first off, doesn't make sense. Secondly, it reads as like Ricketts doesn't really want to spend money even though you're the Cubs and you guys are printing money. And Wrigley Field was named as like a a historic landmark, so they get a ton of tax breaks there. Um, So I'm really not sure why the Cubs – the Cubs and Red Sox to me, the two teams that every agent we talk to was like, what are they actually doing? It's not clear. And that's never a spot you want to be in, right? Like, what are they doing? And and you get and when you say they're not really spending, you get pushback because people are like, no, they're spending. Look at the look. They you say Suzuki and Marcus Stroman and stuff. 
and and even the most recent uh, signing by the Red Sox. While I like uh, that they got uh, what's his name, uh, the, the injury prone outfielder from Japan, who no one knows who he's going to be. That to me, with the money there, I mean, the signing was fine, but the the money there was a little interesting, right? That's where Boston's going to spend. They let Xander Bogarts go, but that's where they're going to go. Not that you could have gotten Bogarts for that money, but no, no, I, that's the point. Is there are these like little like seventy to one hundred million dollar deals? Jameson Tyon, Marcus Stroman, Seiya Suzuki. You know, there all these little deals are spending, but you're never getting the number one guy. You know, you're no, not getting the the stars, weird. and so you, you know, oh, we're gonna piece it all together. Um, I, I just unfortunately, when you get someone who's not a superstar, when they age. You know, they age out of even being a an, a major league average. Like, a, they're not even average. Like, yeah. I think one of the worst things you can do is give a little bit too much money to a guy who's a little bit above average. Like, Eric Hosmer is, like, the worst case scenario for me, where it's like, we gave him $150 million. Oh, that's smart spending. He's a pretty good player. You know, all these intangibles and stuff. But that's the worst wow. case scenario, because when he ages out, he's not even like a really productive player when Aaron judge is 40, he's still like when he's healthy, I bet you he can still be like an Albert Pujols. He'll you know still I mean? run into some fastballs too. Right. Yeah, like exactly. he'll just be a guy who like hits 230, 240 and hits like 20 bombs and plays in like 450 plate appearances. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, totally. that'll still be useful, you know, but I, but like Mark, like Marcus Stroman on the end of the deal, or like if you, if you give too many years to, uh, you know, to a kind of a middling guy. Like, I'm a little bit afraid of what happens with the Danzy Swanson deal because somebody's going to go get him and be like, well, we didn't spend 300 million. Well, you didn't get a 300 million player. <laughs> you know, like you just, yeah, you got totally. the fourth best shortstop. Let me ask you guys this though, real quick. We're, sorry, Derek, we're going right way off the rundown, but we were talking about Boston and we asked the agents this question as well. Do you guys think the Heim Bloom is on the hot seat this season at all? Warm seat? Maybe. I don't know. Warm seems about right. And I think as yeah, someone who's very far away from Boston, I, I get the sense that external pressure, fans have extremely high expectations every year because they should. They're a big market team that should be able to win consistently, spend consistently, and always be in the mix to go to the playoffs and contend for a World Series. The same is true of the Cubs. Is Haim Bloom doing what ownership wants him to do? They're the ones that decide whether he keeps his job, right? It's not it's not up to the fans to to push him out. And I feel like he's doing what he's told. He's running a more smart spending approach. He's doing he's doing what he's being asked to do by ownership from from the outside looking in. That's the only explanation for not taking resources that have historically always been there and throwing them at the best available players. Now, we're recording this on Thursday morning. By Friday, if, if Carlos Correa signs with the Red Sox, the tune is totally different 24 hours from now if that happens, right? That changes everything about their offseason in one move. Because then you say they added Correa, they added help in the outfield, they got Kenley Jansen to help in the bullpen, and now it's just picking a few more, you know, kind of bargain bin or, or, or patchwork sorts of players, and then they're right there with the other ALA's teams. But if they don't get Correa, and even if they don't go out and get Dansby Swanson, no matter what we think of Dansby Swanson, it sounds like Eno's a little down on him, at least compared to Correa, and maybe even just compared to other players getting long-term deals in general. That's a big whiff for them. That, that makes the Bogarts loss a massive loss in Boston if they don't get some sort of replacement in there. So it's an incomplete right now, but 
it's just like the situation on the north side of Chicago, Britt, where I'm kind of like, why are you not more aggressive? And with the Cubs, it's the same kinds of things. Jameson Tyon's a good player. Marcus Stroman last offseason was a good addition, right? I I like that fit for them. It's like the moves they make, they're incomplete or they're not in lockstep with other decisions that are being made. It's like the the front office and ownership are on different pages or something's just not quite balanced out right now. And that's why those teams seem like they're kind of spinning around in circles. Agreed. In terms of payroll, also, like, it's hard not to see, you know, bringing him on as part of an effort not to spend as much. If you look at 2021 and 2022 payrolls, yes, they are higher and they're, you know, among, uh, you know, the top 10 in the league, not the top five in the league uh, as they used to be. And in fact, if you look back, uh, they were always in the top five in in the league, uh, you know, in the mid, uh, you know, from like 2015 on uh, to 2019 and in even the number one payroll a couple of times. So this has been a step back. They have spent less under Heimblum, and I kind of don't anticipate Carlos Correa going there. And, you know, it's fair to say, I would say this seat has to be a little bit warm because they've also only had one above 500 season uh, of the three under under him. So, you know, spending a little bit less to win fewer games is not something that uh, I think fans root for. But I think the temptation is there just as it, for a bottom third team to possibly spend up to get to that middle that you were talking about a little earlier, to be in contention for a wild card, that pushes some teams up. I think some of the teams that were in that perennial top five for spending can say, yeah, we can ease off a little bit. We can spend 30, 40, $50 million less. We can be 10th in payroll instead of top five, and we're still right there. We're still projecting even a little bit ahead of the other teams that are outbidding us for some of these players in free agency. And I realize part of the, you know, if, if San Diego's way up, someone comes down. It's a little bit of that too with the Red Sox. But I would say the Red Sox, the White Sox, and the Cubs are three bigger teams where I really don't quite understand what the plan is from the outside looking in. The Red Sox are projected to be 18th best, although it's a little bit unfair because they do not have um, their newest acquisition from Japan there. So yeah, Masataka Yoshida. How much is that going to up them, though? A spot or two? Two, probably three wins at most. Uh, that would that would take them from behind the Angels right now. Uh, if they if you gave them two or three wins uh, based on that signing, they'd be uh, in a virtual tie with the Rangers. Hmm. And then give them five more. Let's say they go out and get Correa. Let's say they surprise us. Well, and, that and would make be this podcast that would be a big deal because if you give them five more off on top of the Rangers, then they're up with the Guardians and Phillies. That's still lower than you'd expect them to be, though. Yeah, it's still very confusing what they're doing. Yeah, I think they're you know maybe there's the Red Sox trying to get to the Guardians. Just think about that for a second. Yeah, there's some (laughs) there's some uh, sort of uh, belief that you know the the Dodgers model is an interesting one. Uh, I think the Dodgers model is keep your payroll high, but you're actually really working on everything under the under the hood. So you're working on that player development system, right? And that was that's what the Dodgers have done is keep their payroll high with the old guys, but you know, hoping that you know this year, for example, they're hoping to reap some of that that work with Miguel Vargas now playing and and some of their you know maybe Bobby Miller, their their young start starting pitcher that throws a hundred. Some of these guys start plugging them in. 
Um, and that's the the goal. So if the if if Heim Bloom, who's a former Rays guy, and you know Friedman is a former Rays guy who runs the Dodgers, if if Heim Bloom is going to you know follow that same model, the idea is to keep it high, but maybe not as high as the Dodgers. Keep it you know in that 180 200 level. But really, the real work is being done on the player development system in the minor leagues. So you know that might be the pro Heim Bloom argument is that we're going to start seeing some young guys uh, being, you know, being coming out of that minor league, um, that minor league system. I don't, I don't know if I'm uh, equipped to say how good their minor league system is and how, you know, how excited I would be about their young guys coming through. I would say that some of the guys that have come through so far, like Cutter Crawford and Brian Bayo, you know, it's been up and down. There's possibility there that they're going to be great that could be something that would change their projection because the projection is always going to say young guy, you know, best case scenario, league average, whatever, you know, they're not going to project a young guy to be a superstar unless it's, you know, really like the number one prospect in baseball. I want to get to the Red Sox player development and current group of prospects with Keith tomorrow. I've got Keith law on with me on Friday afternoon. So Maybe there's something to what you're saying where they've got enough young talent coming that people are overlooking where it, it, it makes sense to do what they're doing, but I, I don't see it. So I want to ask someone who could possibly see it if that's actually happening right now. One more question for both of you. It's an open-ended question. Is there anything else that you heard either in talking to agents or players or managers or so many people at the winter meetings? Was there any other really interesting thought that was bubbling from multiple places that you feel is worth just putting out there, like either something teams are doing to counteract rule changes or anything that explains some of the things we saw or didn't see over the last few days. And what really uh, intrigued you, Britt, over the course of these last four days? So a couple things. One, on the player acquisition front, I kept hearing from multiple people um, that Texas isn't done. And this was something that was buzzy in Vegas last month at the GM meetings. And certainly they get to Grom and, um, they're not done. They're going to continue to go hard and go all in. So I think that will be something to watch um, on the the more like administrative side that maybe this affects fans as well. But I heard there's going to be a big push this year uh, with the schedule to preserve those off days. So you're going to see a lot more double headers and a lot less, oh, we're going to make up this on a mutual off day, August 15th. Like that random one game where you have to go back to Chicago or Minnesota. Um, the MLB is really going to try to preserve those off days that are baked into the schedule. And so you're going to see uh, some more double headers this year as well, which I thought was kind of interesting because certainly um, from the standpoint of pitching and, and player personnel, yes, they get to add a pitcher, uh, but it's just not enough a lot of the time to get through those two full nine inning games of a double header. Yeah, I had some debate about uh, how aggressive to be about the rule changes. Um I had I talked to a first base coach for you know I love the bar scene. Uh, I was <laughs> talking to a first base coach for a major league team uh, who was was saying that he didn't think he didn't anticipate it would be a big deal. The new rules about throws over and the, and the bases he didn't he didn't think it would be that that revolutionary. But I also talked to an analyst who said the shift rules might uh, add as much as 0.1 runs per inning, which if you do the math is almost a whole run per game, which is a big deal. If the run environment goes up by a run per game, that's a big deal. And so you've seen some teams like the Pirates, I think have been fairly aggressive about, you know, even even though it's around the edges, uh, about trying to be ahead of some of that stuff, you know, getting Carlos Santana, 
and G-Man Choi and a lefty reliever, those are all things that have to do with the new rule changes. Uh, and they don't have that many that many resources, uh, you know, to spend. So that's that's kind of an aggressive team that's like kind of doing something about these new things. And I think that colors some of what you're seeing out there in the signings. It's a little bit underneath the hood. Maybe the Trey Turner signing was goosed a little bit by these new rules. Maybe they think he can steal a bunch of bases. He's going to be the athletic guy that the baseball is going to look more like in the future. So just whether or not how aggressive you want to be or how much wait and see you want to take with the new rules has been something. And, and and related to that is the idea of like, how long, if you have an idea in baseball, how long can you have an idea that nobody else has uh, until everybody else has it? And uh, there were some different estimates that I heard uh, in terms of how long that could be, uh, but uh, they were all shorter than you might think. They were all sort of on the on the order of one or two years. So if you think you have an idea right now, you better work on it. You better act on it. Yeah, word gets around fast and people can sort of uh, untangle or decode what you might have saw in, in a player or players if you start to you know, go a different direction. So I uh, think that's a, it gets a fair timetable, shorter than you think, a year or two <laughs> if you think you've got a competitive advantage. Not a long time to, uh, to possibly take advantage and maybe not enough time to even figure out if it worked. You might be, right, might be replaced yeah. before you get to see the fruits of your labor. And was I right? Oh, it doesn't matter. I got fired. So yeah. <laughs> there's always that. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the 3-0 show. You can find Britt on Twitter at Britt underscore Girola. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you're enjoying this podcast, take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review. We've had a bunch of great episodes this week, so be sure to binge on those if you haven't done that already. One more episode coming up in the feed on Friday. Friday afternoon, and then we are back with you again next week. Always got the green light here. <laughs>